Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Okay, Alyssa, imagine you're stranded on a deserted island and you have to pick one thing to drink for the rest of your life. What would you choose? Haley, I think I'd have to go with Noon Sport watermelon flavor. Nice choice. Personally, I'd opt for the Noon Endurance lemon lime flavor because in my deserted island fantasy, I'm still getting in regular 90 minute workouts. That sounds totally reasonable. The good news is that all noon hydration products are made with clean quality ingredients that are good for your body and the planet. So if you ever find yourself on a deserted island or maybe just in the middle of a really long training day, you'll be thankful that Iron Women podcast listeners get 30% off all noon hydration purchases by using the code ironwomen at noonlife.com. And now the ladies you've been waiting for. Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Haley, it's been a week, but it feels like it's been a year in how things in the world are going on. How are you doing? Every week, Alyssa, every time I get to check in with you, I know I'm going to get a whole different story. We're, we're back. We're like have moved on from the days of when it was just like training as usual. Everything's good. How are you doing? I'm good. So uh, for listeners who may not know or anything, I am based out of Charlottesville, Virginia, which is where I am now. And life in Virginia, you know, in terms of like restrictions with the coronavirus going on right now, we definitely do not have the most stringent restrictions, but we are definitely encouraged to be kind of doing as much of that on our own as we can. So a lot of people are, you know, doing kind of self quarantines or self isolating and social distancing as much as they can, for sure. The governor just came on today and made the official kind of proclamation that the non essential businesses will finally be closing this week. So I anticipate my upcoming week to be a little bit more different still. Um, I think in the last week, like a lot of the local businesses and stuff were trying to just do anything they could to be making the most of kind of that imminent time that they had left. Right. And so I think the good thing that I saw coming out of that was a lot transitioned very quickly to online ordering for pickup only and delivery and curbside pickup drive through kind of all these things. And so that has been a big thing I've seen there, you know, my day to day life, I, I think I said it last week, but uh, it's, it's made me realize that a lot of my social interaction does come online already with my athletes and friends and family and stuff. So, you know, my socializing, I feel like has almost stayed the same with the exception of not going to the pool and gym. And so people I would see maybe at masters or run into at the gym or something there. But for myself, you know, training wise, I decided to kind of just pivot away from triathlon a little bit and see what I can do out on the trails, you know, hoping that my access to the national parks that are basically in the backyard here continues. And that's a great place to be social distancing and getting out by yourself and taking in nature and all of the things that that has. So I've been doing a lot of that and just kind of making sure, you know, for me, kind of unplugging when a lot of the craziness in the world is going on really helps. And so 
I just try and, you know, get my fix of news and make sure I'm up to date with that, but then get in my time, you know, away from all of the technology and things and then come back and I'm ready to kind of lead a, a normal day of coaching and, and that sort of thing. So I don't know. It's, it's definitely weird. Like it does feel weird all the time. And I do feel though, like people are having a bit more kind of real conversations and checking in a little bit more with each other and actually listening or, you know, really asking, how are you like for a a reason rather than just because that's something that we say in conversation. So I'm seeing some silver linings, but it is definitely a stressful and anxious time for people. And, you know, just, just doing what I can to, you know, we don't lead essential we're, our jobs are not essential <laughs> to the communities that we're in. So I think, you know, finding ways that I can kind of feel like I'm helping because I do, I think I'm a, I'm a helper at heart. So, you know, just keeping my ear to the ground there, but it's, it's a wild time. So I imagine Bozeman, I actually just Googled the populations between Charlottesville and Bozeman are, are within 3000 people of each other. So really we in a pretty similar, you know, populated area, I guess. I don't know if this one takes into account the university population or if that's like on top of it, but probably pretty similar vibe maybe going on in, in Bozeman. I had no idea Charlottesville is the same size as Bozeman. And, um, and though I do would guess that UVA is a little bigger than MSU because we, we do have a university here, but I don't think it's quite as big, but, uh, yeah, the social distancing here is definitely going well. I think I've gone on a, a lot of dog walks and just because our weather actually warmed up, like I think when I talked to you last week, it was probably zero degrees. So it made staying in very, very easy. And we got above 40 last couple of days and some sun. So I've been taking cowboy out and honestly, it's like a ghost town out there. Like I saw social distancing super easy because I only saw like a few people. We went on four walks yesterday. Cap was a very demanding dog. And it was like, it was actually, it made me a little emotional because I, I walked toward downtown Bozeman and usually it's like on a Sunday like that, it was, it would have been just insanely busy and it was very, very few people. And I did, uh, I saw one of my favorite local restaurants was offering takeout. So I actually walked home, called and made an order, walked back and picked it up. And that made me feel like a little bit better that I was doing, you know, something to help the community, but it was scary. I mean, it felt a little bit like a horror movie and you know, it, it that was, it, it was, it kind of did make it more real because again, like you, I'm able to get so much of my social life is from online already. So it's been a little bit weird not to see so many people out and, and maybe they are in different areas, but, uh, and the people I did see, they definitely crossed the street or one of us walked in the road and one walked on the sidewalk. I mean, people are making a big effort and I, you know, we would wave and that kind of thing, but people kept their distance. So it's good. I think that people are, are taking it seriously, but at the same time, it, it is a little bit, it's a little disturbing. No, it's definitely a, a crazy time. And I'll say, they they actually had restricted access to some of the most popular like trailheads and stuff in Shenandoah National Park, which is where I would go to to spend a lot of time last week. And because it was so crowded, so like a lot of people were having this, this brilliant idea to get outside and go to the park that's in the backyard, right? And so they restricted access, and but they really were encouraging people to just you know, access the park. I mean, the park is huge. It's 105 miles of length, right? And then like tons and tons of access points off of that. It's just Google only tells you, you know, about the top 10 that show up when you Google like where to hike in Shenandoah. So it was interesting to see on in places where I would normally never see another person that actually, you know, because I do know of kind of like the secret access points, I guess, um, you know, there were a couple cars and a couple people this this week. And um, so that was just, you know, also a little bit, I guess, encouraging to see that like you, you know, you're taking cowboy for a walk, but I think people in general are getting outside more. And like you said, when we're passing each other, it's, you know, at a distance, but at least you do get to see another human. And, and I think a smile is going a long way in these days. So we'll keep doing our part. I did sign up to give blood. I give blood next week. Everyone was like, give blood, give blood. And then I went and looked at appointments and they were full for 10 days. So 10 days from now, I'm going to do it, Haley. Um, well, 10 days, it's like, who knows what will be happening. We can, we'll have to like chronicle your, your blood giving experience, but that's, that's very cool that you're doing that. And and one more thing, Haley. So while I have been catching up with a lot of work and stuff like that, you have been doing a lot of really great Iron Women episodes that I do want to give you a special shout out for doing those. And we have a lot of great things for people to be kind of, if, if you are getting bored, stuck inside, or you are on the trainer for even more time than usual or anything like that, or you're just going for a walk and want 
some more Iron Women in your ears. We have some mini episodes that have come out in the last week. And a huge thank you to Haley and the Live Feisty team for getting those done. And Haley, the most recent one is the Race Director Insight. So about from the race director's perspective of everything that's been going on. But then you also had one with Indoor Swim Fitness. And then prior to last week when we chatted, you had talked from like a medical perspective about the coronavirus. I am definitely throwing myself into interviews. If um, if anyone has not noticed, I think it really just kind of has been one of those things where I have questions and I am probably, you know, using my platform in a way to benefit myself. You know, I had questions about my health, my training, what's going on with postponed, postponed races. So I did want to reach out to experts like the swim coaches we talked to, Stephanie Yunker, Sarah Harrington, race director Faye Yates. And yes, part of this was for my own benefit, but I figured a lot of our listeners might have similar questions. And all the women I have talked to have been super gracious to answer my questions, kind of let me record them as well. And I have a couple more in the works. If people like them, definitely like send me, you know, send me a message, leave us some, some, you know, feedback on Instagram, or, you know, you can write to our mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com and tell me if you have ideas. But I do think for me, the 12 minute episode, uh, you know, 12 minute target interview is, has been good just because I haven't been, you know, we aren't commuting as long and sometimes I, I don't have as long of runs and, um, you know, and that kind of thing. And, and I just want a, a quick check-in. So hopefully people are enjoying that, but thanks. Thanks. I've, I'm having fun doing it. And I know it's not probably a sustainable thing, but for right now, while my training's a, a little bit less than, than usual, and I am trying to find ways to, you know, relieve my own anxiety. It has been a good, you know, a good exercise for me. So if it benefits other people, that's great as well. And we do have the community over at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash live feisty. And you can join us in that community. And there it also has opportunities to kind of give some suggestions or feedback and things like that. Um, we are always looking there for insight when we when we can, and we are just looking to kind of continue to grow that as much as we can through this year and do what we can to keep bringing you this content through this time. And once race season kicks off again, we'll be continuing as well, obviously. That's right. Live Feisty is a small business. So if you do want to join our Patreon community and support our content creation, definitely go to patreon.com forward slash live feisty. It's as little as $2 a month and it does make a big difference to us. So thank you to those of you who are our members. It's, we really do appreciate you. And Alyssa, I mentioned our mailbag earlier, uh, at gmail.com. Do we have any mailbag questions coming in that we can answer this week? We do, Haley. So we have a mailbag question from Katie that we're tackling this week. So she was listening to a recent episode where I was talking about it taking me a while to warm up when I was in Ironman training. So she's also noticed that it takes her a while to peak. So, and she gives the example of being in masters that while people are fading, she's just hitting her stride. So she's wondering if this is part of the reason why she has such mediocre swims in races when she feels she should be faster. So she want, Katie wants to know how do we warm up before a race or even just before our workouts? Great question, Katie. I know. So what, Alyssa, how do you handle this since you've had the exact experience that Katie describes? So great question with Ironman training. So in training, you kind of learn to accept it as almost like a natural part of, (laughs) of Ironman training that potentially you might not feel your best until towards the end of the workout and warmups are hopefully kind of built into some of the sessions and you learn maybe your body. Like I know if I'm getting on the trainer that Within that like 30 minute warm up period, maybe I want to do some just quick like 10, 15 second spin ups on my legs to try and accelerate the process of like waking them back up. Right. So I might do eight to 10 of those or something like that through that. Nothing crazy, nothing to like expend extra energy, but just something to wake my body up with swimming. Kind of same thing. I like if I can, if I'm like in control of the workout, I might throw in four by 50 where you sprint the first lap and then easy for a 25 on the way back. Right. So again, just something short and getting myself like almost over the, the intensity I'll be hitting in a practice to kind of wake my body up and get me going. Um, and you know, same concept with running, but for a race, I, I used to never warm up. And then I realized that the warm up was actually part of the problem. So Katie, you can be ahead of the curve of me on that. But, um, I, I, I take advantage of the swim warm up, And I think that in a lot of 
races now. Um, everyone can swim warm up and some I, I know still aren't. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a second too, but where you can get in for a swim warm up. And then I was like, okay, I'm warming up now. So I would hop in the water and I'd swim for like two minutes and be like, okay. And then I realized that like, I still wasn't swimming well. So why was that? So you have to do a warm up like you would for like a swim set. Right. And so for me, that's typically like a thousand, which I'm not sure I quite get to in an open water warm up, but I have kind of taken more ownership of that and making sure I'm getting in like 10 minutes, 15 minutes if I can. And super, super easy, maybe a few small efforts. It was actually when I did that swim meet last year that I realized, and I was racing the 1650 that I was doing it with like my master swim partner. And so I was just doing everything she did. And she made me do like a very long, I think we did like a 1200 yard warm up for the 1650. And the whole time I'm doing this warm up, I'm like, she is crazy. This is crazy. And then I had a really great 1650. So I was like, Oh, this is brilliant. Like I need to do this more. So, um, you obviously it's a balance between like wasting energy and getting yourself warmed up. But I definitely would say experiment a little bit with that. And probably like, if you're like me, maybe a little more than you want to do. I generally, well, one, I haven't experienced a lot of times where the swim has been canceled, but, or not having access to the warm up. And then in that instance, I do like a one to two mile easy jog with, I can as a warm up. but Haley, I feel like you've had more experience with like the non, the non swim races, ironically enough. So I don't know. Do you that have any ironic. other, uh, uh, any other warm up insight for Katie? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of warmups. I love warmups. I love long warmups. I love very slow warmups. I think that they are one of the best things in life. So I'll say that before all my races, I actually get up and shower. So I do this before breakfast. So it's like three hours before the start of the race. And it's kind of a carryover from my swim days because that's something we often did at big meets. The coaches would make us, you had to either shower or go to the pool and do a wake up swim, like several hours before the meet. And Warm water is just a really calm, nice way to start your kind of an anxious morning. So I also sometimes do this before big workouts, you know, especially if I'm not swimming before. Uh, so because I think there is a psychological benefit to it. Um, as for actual races in general, my rule of thumb is that the shorter the race, the longer the warm up. So for a sprint distance triathlon, I might do a 30 minute jogging warm up and probably like a five to 10 minute swim if we're allowed in the water. So I'm in, I'm warming up for almost the duration of the race. If I was only doing a 1650, like Alyssa's version, I might be doing like, I would probably be doing, uh, you know, yeah, 1200 to 2000 of swimming before. And it's cause that's even shorter. That's only a 20 minute race. So for a 70.3, as the distance gets a little bit longer, I do cut the warm up back. I like to do a 15 to 20 minute jog and then maybe five minutes in the water if it's allowed. And for Ironman, I, I do not do a running warm up. I think usually there's plenty of time walking around that I get warm enough. So if I can, I'll hit the water for five minutes. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think I've ever missed my warm up during the last hour of a nine or 10 hour race. I was never thinking, oh, I wish I had warmed up more. Usually I'm wishing I like hadn't walked any extra steps before. So, um, yeah, so I, that's my, my general rule of thumb, the shorter the race, the longer the warm up. I love this showering phenomenon. And so I actually, I love to shower. Like I love taking showers in general. And so one of my quarantine goals here, while well, you know, we're all staying inside is that I shower, I wash my hair less because typically whenever I shower, I wash my hair. And then this is very random, but I saw Emma Coburn said that she has really nice hair and she doesn't wash her hair that often at all. And so I'm like, oh my God, maybe I'm washing my hair too much. So one of my goals has been to wash my hair less. And then now if I'm going to start doing warm up showers, I'm going to need to invest in a shower cap, I think. So I don't know, but I like the concept of that shower and like getting yourself, your body, like calm and ready. And like, I, I can see it. I get the mentality of that. Give it a try. Definitely. I think you'll like it. And can you what when you like, can you get your hair wet and just not use shampoo and conditioner? Is that count as washing your hair? Ask Emma, ask Emma. I have heard this before though. Like a friend, Betty Janelle, who I mention every single damn week. <laughs> Cause again, she's the source of all my wisdom. She quit washing her hair and she said it got more voluminous. So I tried for like a week and my hair is already quite, quite frizzy and voluminous. I guess I don't even know. Am I saying that word right? 
And, uh, and so I was like, I don't really need the extra volume. I think parts of it I kind of liked. I felt a little greasy. I, um, so have but, you ever used dry shampoo? So I, I got I a thing of dry shampoo when I realized <laughs> I was going to stop washing my hair because my hair will get a little bit like grease. It's like my hair. I have, I'm, I have no volume. I have very fine, thin hair. So you're I'm like Betty. I know. Try it. <laughs> so, no, yeah, she no. swears by it. Have you ever tried apple cider vinegar? Because that's the other one I've In heard. In my hair? The, no. Well, okay. The two people I know who have like the best hair I've ever seen, like <laughs> they're a friends, like children and they have such great hair and they don't wash it. They use apple cider vinegar and their hair is like incredible. Like they use the they, apple cider vinegar. They, like, they just take a shot of it every day or they're like washing their hair. Oh, no, with I, think it they put they... It, I think they put it in their hair. <laughs> I think they put it in their hair as like a substitute for shampoo, but it's like, I swear Whoa. their hair is really good. So maybe we're onto something. We have a few weeks, I think here to try anything and not have to go in public too much. So that's my experimentation <laughs> phase and I can keep the listeners updated weekly. It'll be great. I feel like you should. I feel like we could like make this into like a YouTube slideshow. I have lots of content ideas, but um, we do actually have an interview this week. It's not just going to be Alyssa and I talking about our hair routines. Although if you do like this, leave us a message, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us if you want to hear more about Alyssa's hair. But this week we are talking to Danielle Dingman. She is a 70.3 specialist who's been moving up the ranks since her rookie pro season, which was less than two years ago. She won Eagleman 70.3 last summer and had a huge breakout race when she finished second at Ironman 70.3 Dubai in early February 2020, just like a month or so ago, but it feels like seven years ago. Uh, we talked to Danielle about that race in Dubai, her background as a track athlete at Baylor and as a professional cyclist. Danielle also speaks candidly about the criticism she received after some members of the triathlon media and fellow pros, they kind of went after her when she launched a GoFundMe to help support her transition to the pro ranks. We did record this interview a few weeks ago, just before Danielle raced at Campeche 70.3 and before most other races were postponed or canceled due to the worldwide health concerns over the COVID-19 coronavirus. But I still think that Danielle's story is as current as ever and you'll really enjoy it. So we'll have it for you right after the break. Triathlon is certainly hard on your skin, without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsel, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com for 15% off and use Zelios products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. Hi, Danielle. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, Haley. Hi, Alyssa. So we're talking to you just about a month after you kicked off your season at Ironman 70.3 Dubai, a race that saw you make some huge moves. You came out of the water in 10th place in what I believe was a field of 11 pro women. You worked your way up the ranks with insanely fast bike and run splits to finish second behind the 2019 70.3 World Championship third place finisher Imogen Simmons and ahead of triathlon Olympians Pamela Oliveira and Helen Jenkins. Was it as exciting for you to live that race as it was for all of us watching from home? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was. I, I'm used to kind of coming out of the water late and having to work my way back up. So that was very kind of standard procedure for me, right? Just kind of slowly pick people off. It wasn't until the run when um, at first I was noticing, you know, my mile splits were pretty good. And I was like, okay, surely the wheels are just going to fall off. At some point, they're just going to fall off. But I'll just keep riding it out and see how long this will last. But it wasn't until, I don't know, I was in, sitting in fourth place. And I was like, you wait a second. The podium's just like one person ahead of me. If you want it, you just got to go get it. So just go get it and see what happens. So, it was, yeah, it was exciting for sure. If you want it, you just have to go get it. As someone who's finished fourth multiple times, I'm going to like... <laughs> Well, <laughs> keep that in mind. Keep that in mind next time. Be like, just go. I mean, it is, but I get like your line of thought for sure. Like, like you, you have like to try you are now there. Right. And the door is open. Like this is the moment like go. Right. So mm -hmm. yeah. Being able to recognize that I think is key. And yeah. 
So you've had some really great results in the past. You won last summer's Eagle Man 70.3, where we raced together. You've had a sixth place finish in Waco the year before. And both of these races, though, did have a canceled swim. So as you said, you kind of, you know, usually work your way up in the field after the swim. And we know you've only been swimming for a few years, so it's a work in progress. But did this result in Dubai, where you did swim, give you a little bit more validation as a triathlete? I I did. I have been working obviously pretty hard on my swim because, you know, I could have the best bike and the best run in the world, but if I can't swim, it doesn't mean anything right (laughs) to a certain extent. So for me, I mean, it's just been a big personal journey. This swim, I was about two minutes faster than anything I'd done previously. So that was pretty big for me. Um, I mean, in comparison to the field, I'm still back a ways, but for me, it was a big success. And it gave me a lot of confidence because halfway through the swim, I realized I was still swimming with somebody (laughs) and I'm not used to swimming with somebody for so long. And I was like, I'm still with somebody. And then even when I got out of the water, I don't remember saying this, but uh, my mom was standing there and then my boyfriend was on FaceTime and he says that I got out of the water and I was at transition and I said, oh, yay, there's still bikes here. Because <laughs> I'm so used to, um, like, no bikes being left there. <laughs> I understand both that sentiment and being like, oh, there are people around me still. This is great. Because mm-hmm. for Haley, it's probably, like, the opposite feelings where <laughs> where she, she wants to, like, leave people in the dust. But for people coming, like, from the behind in the swim, like, that's definitely two big points that give you a mental boost when you're racing, especially with smaller fields. Yeah, for sure. Just having that bit of confidence instead of feeling demoralized is huge in regards to doing these races. So So being race ready in early February is no easy feat when you live in the Northern Hemisphere. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us about how you structured your off season to be ready to go so early in the year? Sure. So I did Worlds last September, and then I took a little bit of downtime and was transitioning from moving from Missouri to Idaho. And then I just kind of had a slow build, uh, really increasing volume slowly. A lot of the time was just just a lot of zone two base time. I had very little like intense or intense like bike workouts or much speed work. I had two I'd say speed sessions that were some 400 repeats and really cold weather. And then some on the treadmill, which is less than ideal. Um, so very little speed, very little intensity going into it. So it was just a lot of base time and a lot of trainer time, lots of time on Zwift. And yeah, I did a good bit of trail running outside, which is nice. I know Haley, you spent a lot of time <laughs> running outside in the snow and the um, trails and whatnot. So I did a lot of that, but yeah, it was just a lot of time. So in Dubai, you qualified for this year's 70.3 World Championships, which are actually happening in New Zealand November 28th. So Mm -hmm. do you have any breaks planned to help you manage the extra long season going from February to the end of November? Or was that kind of the idea behind making 2019 season a little bit shorter? So I, um, like I said, I took some time off after worlds and I really, I wanted to do like maybe Indian Wells or something late season, but I did not race after world. And I just wanted to get some feelers out there to see where my fitness was. And so that's what I did in Dubai. It was just supposed to be kind of a trial race, no pressure just to kind of see where I am, but getting that slot was huge. And so now I don't have that pressure on myself in any of these races that I have coming up. I can try new, new things, um, different things, whether it's in racing or training to see how the body and mind responds. Uh, and then, so between now and the end of June, a lot of my schedule will look fairly similar to, um, what it has in years past. Then I'll just go ahead and take some good down after that racing and do a gradual build again, and maybe, um, a race or two just to kind of prime things up for worlds. Danielle, your 119.20 run split in Dubai was the fastest of the day. And what Mm -hmm. you might lack in a swimming background, you clearly can make up for with your running, right? So you were a four-time Florida State champion in the 800 meters in high school, holding a very fast 209.51 PR there. So that running took you to Baylor University in Waco, Texas. And we'd love to hear a little bit about what collegiate running was like for you. Yeah. Well, you've done your homework. (laughs) Um, I uh, did the 800 my freshman year at Baylor. My PR there was a 206. And then my coach moved me up to the mile in the steeplechase. 
And that's um, kind of where I hung out for the rest of my doing the steeple. And I did well, um, went to nationals every year with a cross country team. And then in the steeple chase, I did um, go to nationals. I, we had two rounds. I made it past the first round, made it to the finals. And then I had food poisoning the night before. Uh, so I did that race off of like Pedialyte and pretzels. Uh, so that was pretty rough. <laughs> And I actually had uh, qualified for the trials too, but I had a heel fracture that occurred just before the trials. I didn't get to race in the, in the steeple and that, but anyways, I did want to run professionally. And then I got sick uh, my senior year and took about a year off to recover and picked up cycling to get myself back into shape. And so then I just started racing my bike. Kind of one thing led to the other. I want to go back to the steeplechase a little bit because that's an event yeah. that fascinates me. And we did read that you, you know, you took to it kind of as a natural. I think you broke the school record the first time you ever raced it at Baylor. And like you mentioned, mm-hmm. you qualified for the 2008 U.S. Olympic trials. That's it's really too bad you didn't get to run because we are we are celebrating the Olympic trials fever around here yeah. since it is 2020. <laughs> but I, I, I think you were young, obviously in 2008. I think you're mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, 19 or 20 years old. So mm-hmm. that was also the first time in history that the 3000 meter steeplechase was a women's Olympic event. Were you able to grasp the significance of that when you were racing? Yeah, quite honestly, I don't even think I knew that. Yeah, I didn't know that. So thanks for that piece of information. <laughs> ah, well, you were in the, yeah, you qualified for the very, cool. very first Olympic yeah. trials in steeplechase. There you go. Your next, like, your next time you have to, like, say uh, <laughs> inter- interesting piece of information about you. I'm sure there's lots of interesting pieces of information, but there's one people, people might not have as well. But um, that, I mean, that is kind of crazy to think, though, right? That it wasn't that long ago. I mean, you're not even that much older now mm-hmm. and that it's a fairly new event for the Olympics. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. It's amazing to see how it's grown. Um, it's amazing to see what the women are doing in the sport for sure. Danielle. So you graduated from Baylor in 2010 and it seems like the transition from collegiate athletics to the real world wasn't exactly like a smooth course for you. So you Mm -hmm. talked a little bit about picking up, about getting sick and picking up your bike instead and things like that. But can you elaborate a little bit more on that time period? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, I did you know, have these dreams of wanting to run professionally, but I ended up uh, getting sick. I had mono and a vitamin D deficiency my senior year, which cut my running career at Baylor short, uh, which that was kind of a tough time for me because when you have some pretty big goals and you just feel like the doors just slammed in your face, it hurts a lot. Right. And during that time, I ended up actually gaining like 50 pounds in one year. It felt like this piece of me had died and I went through, you know, I, gosh, every phase of depression, right. From anger, denial, sadness, and just grief. And then, I don't know, there was a day I was just at home and I realized, you know, I can do whatever I want to do. I just have to set my mind to do it. And so then I gave myself a strict nutrition plan, a strict workout plan and got to work. And I actually, I guess a fun fact is that I did start training for a triathlon at that time. Uh, I did a local race, uh, was like second female overall, first in my age group. So that was kind of cool. (laughs) But in the process of training for tries, I had a bike accident and fractured my shoulder. Uh, And so then I couldn't swim at all. Uh, So then I just started racing the bike. And within three years, I was racing on the the national team with a domestic elite team. So if, if you could kind of go back and say something uh-huh. to your younger self, like maybe do a podcast for your younger self, or if you know someone who might be a collegiate athlete now who is looking at graduation in a couple months, or, or really if you know anyone who's facing a major life or identity change, what mm-hmm. advice would you give her? Yeah, I think from the beginning, you really have to make sure that you know who you are and where your identity lies. You're not, it's not in what you do, because when what you do is taken away, then you're left with who am I? So it is really important to make sure that you know who you are, um, your morals, your values, your beliefs, and to stay true to yourself through all of it. But you have to be able to picture yourself outside of your profession, whatever that may be. And then also when stuff does happen, you have, you still have like a lifetime ahead of you. So it's not, 
an end-all be-all when something bad happens that diverts you from where you think you want to go or should go. If there is some somewhere you want to go, stay true to that. Work your way through whatever that hardship is. And I mean, if, if you're diligent, you're going to get through it and you're always going to come out stronger on the other side. Uh, but never give up on yourself because that's that's really the most demoralizing <laughs> part is that if you do give up on yourself, then it's like, who else do you have to go to? I mean, you can have people around you that believe in you, but you really have to believe in yourself as well. So that was kind of a lot of different things. <laughs> no, but, it's good though. And I, I yeah. think people appreciate, you know, hearing from you after you have gone through those things and to kind of keep our listeners on track with the timeline, like this wasn't an overnight process for you. So graduating no. in 2010 and then you were finding your way back to sport and it was Mm -hmm. 2014 when you were racing as a professional cyclist. So that was four years. And then Uh you had, um, as you said, a crash, some more setbacks. And it was around Mm -hmm. 2017, we believe that you were kind of really turning to triathlon. So are we right in saying that you were initially racing as an age grouper, but from the beginning, like it was your goal to be racing as a professional and was that mindset like something that just came to you because you had ride, rode, ridden bikes professionally and you had been wanting to run professionally and you just always kind of felt that like drive to be mm-hmm. elite in sport? Yeah. I mean, ever since I was a little girl, I just, I knew I always wanted to be in sport and be a professional on something. I didn't really care what it was. I just had that competitive nature and wanted to be competing at the highest level and pushing myself as far as I could possibly go. And so in 2014 in cycling, I did have another accident and fractured a few bones in my back. And at that point I was like, you know what, I'm done. I'm just going to focus on my career in public health. And I just totally kind of gave up on sport, did some hiking and backpacking and stuff like that. Uh, but I still had that that drive on the inside that said, I still want to do this. Like you can't really run from your dreams, right? Those things that are inside of you, they're there for a reason. And I think it's important to embrace those things and not to push them away because they seem impossible or scary or whatever. So that was in 2017. I said, you know what, I'm going to do this. During that time, I kind of went through that phase of depression again. And I felt like, I mean, I was terrible to myself as far as just the negative self-talk and putting myself down and just denying myself of the, these dreams that I had. Uh, and then in 2017, I said, you know, this is my year to take back what depression stole from me. And that was my mantra in 2017. This is my year. It didn't have to do with anybody else, but myself. And so then it was in that year, um, I started training and then, uh, I did have the goals that year to qualify for my elite license. And I won the duathlon nationals in long course standard and sprint distance, and then was third at the USAT triathlon nationals. And that earned me my pro card. Um, but then I did my first 70.3 that year as well. Um, and that was in Cozumel and I was a first female age grouper, which I guess that would have qualified me for the elite card as well. So, yeah. Danielle, when we look at the results page on your website, the 2017 season looks like first place after first place Mm -hmm. after first place. So in 2018, Mm -hmm. you started racing as a pro and the finishes are a little bit more like ninth and seventh and 15th. So those are solid results for rookie pro, but did you ever miss age group racing and the win streak that you enjoyed in the amateur ranks? Um, yes and no. Yes, because it always, it's always fun getting first, right? But no, because I want to compete against the best. And I've always wanted to compete against the best because that's what pulls the best out of you. Uh, it's the only way that you can really see how good you can be is when you put yourself around women who are already awesome. <laughs> and so that's what I wanted to do is surround myself with people that are doing some really cool things. And Danielle, many rookie pros have quiet transitions into the pro ranks, but your name actually became fairly mainstream pretty quickly. <laughs> Um, before your pro race, when a member of the triathlon media tweeted a critical review of a GoFundMe page that you had set up to help fund your rookie pro season. So this led to a really passionate debate about crowdsourcing sponsorship, essentially. So it's been more than two years since that. And we'd love to know like how you feel now when you look back on that kind of internet initiation into professional triathlon and just kind of how you unpack that now with, you know, some probably good insight that's come in the past couple of years. 
Sure. Well, I mean, coming into the triathlon world, I really, I didn't know much, you know, and I'm still learning about the triathlon world, but obviously now I know more. Uh, I don't think that I would have changed what I did because I did what I felt like was right at the time. Um, I did something that I had discussed with friends and family, um, was encouraged to do. And so the, the feedback I got, I mean, it shocked me for sure. I didn't know, you know, all the people at the time who were saying some of these negative things, but to me, I didn't, it didn't really, I didn't really care so much about, uh, what they were saying. I think it was more important to me that I was just staying true to myself, but also acting in a way that was, uh, respectful of people. I think it would have been easy to respond in a way that, I don't know, maybe would have made myself look, I don't unpleasant, <laughs> better words, but I didn't want to do that. You know, I just wanted, like I said, just to be as kind as possible and just be true to myself through the whole process. Um, I think I would have, you know, and so through that time, there was a lot of people that said some negative things, but there were way more people that said a lot of positive things to me, people that reached out to me privately and just, and said, you know, do your own thing, but then also here are some ways that you can make a living as a professional triathlete, ways that you can seek out sponsorships, endorsements. These are ways you can manage your money and things like that. And so I really appreciate all of those words of encouragement and all that wisdom that I was given through that time. We've talked to many women who've done really big, really expensive adventures. And two that kind of come to mind for me are mountaineer Caroline Gleick and Ultraman world champion Tara Norton, both of whom noted cost was a big hurdle for them and possibly a reason why they we don't see more women climbing Mount Everest or racing Ultraman. So Caroline in particular really encouraged women to set up personal fundraising pages and compared it to a politician asking for campaign contributions. Do you think the social context of crowdsourcing has changed in the past two years? And even though you say, you know, you wouldn't do anything different, would you go as far as encouraging an athlete to set up their own GoFundMe today? You know, the platform exists. It's there for a reason. If you put stuff up there, people are either going to fund you or they're not. Simple as that. You shouldn't feel bad about it. It exists. So that's it. If you want to do it, do it. I, I think cost definitely is a big hurdle. It's, Yeah. People are, come from all sorts of different situations. And if that's something that you feel like is appropriate, then I would say it's fine to use. And as we talk about sponsorship, you seem to also have excellent connections within your local businesses and communities for the past couple of years that you've been racing the last few years in a Springfield Brewing Company kit representing a local brewery near your home in Missouri. So yep. last year you had mentioned you moved from Missouri to Boise, Idaho, and mm -hmm. I'm assuming that might have like come with sponsor changes. So did the community support that you worked so hard for mm -hmm. in Missouri, like, did that make moving extra difficult? Uh, absolutely. You know, I have a good support network in Springfield and Branson down there and people that really have supported my rise into triathlon and even have played an integral part in getting me back into sport period. So moving away from Missouri was challenging, but you know, I, those people are still there. They're still supportive. You know, sponsors have changed. I'm now with uh, base performance. Uh, and that's been a good transition too, just because, I mean, it's a triathlon team, so it comes with a good bit of knowledge and resources. And so, you know, I just briefly wanted to kind of touch back about like using, uh, those crowdsourcing platforms. I think, yes, I think it is good or it's fine to use them if you want to use them, but then also taking time to see how you can invest back into your local community, I think is a good next step too. seeing how you can partner with local businesses and support what they're doing as they support you too. And that, that was definitely a big part of how I was able to get into the sport. And so now we know you've only been in Boise for a few months. Will you use the same kind of local community, that local sponsorship connection strategy in a new community? Is it, is it harder? Have you had any luck or is it just too soon to say? Yeah, um, I'm slowly kind of putting down some roots here and getting to know the community. There's nothing that I really want to force. I want things to be natural. And um, as I build relationships with people, um, there's a really great triathlon community here. Uh, Jocelyn McCauley lives here. So we get to do some training together. Travis Wood, um, he just, uh, he'll be racing pro this year. So uh, and there's a whole bunch of strong age group triathletes as well. And the local shop here supports us and 
so it's uh and that's tritown boise um so yeah it's just kind of a matter of building some of those uh relationships organically and uh seeing what we can do with the community so while you were back in Missouri, um, going kind of back in time here a little bit, but you were actually sure. an assistant coach for the Jury University NCAA triathlon team. So I love mm-hmm. following the rise of NCAA triathlon. Did you enjoy being a part of that? And what is what was your what were your thoughts on NCAA triathlon? Well, it's so cool to actually give back to a group of aspiring young women, right? It's like I was in your shoes. I know what you're going through. I know what you're thinking. I I I just, I understand it. And so to be in a position where I can actually help coach those women through training and what other issues they have that kind of come up, that was pretty cool. Uh, And it's exciting to see the collegiate females come up in triathlon. It's a lot of fun watching them compete. And yeah, there's more and more schools coming on board. Um, Drury was the first one there in Missouri to do that. And they're building a really strong program, so I'm excited to see what they do. And you never raced draft legal, and and that is how NCAA triathlon, it's in the draft legal format. Mm-hmm. Did it make you wish you had? <laughs> oh, I've always, I've wanted to because I, I can race a bike and, and run, but yeah, I mean, just if I can't get out of the water with a lead pack, it was, it'd be kind of pointless because yeah, you need to be with that lead pack on the, on the bike to be able to be in contention, so Danielle, we're recording this interview just before you're set to race at Ironman 70.3 Campeche in Mexico this weekend. Did I say that right? I've these like some of these names I never say out loud. I think that's, that <laughs> one's right though. That race features a rather unique triathlon start time of 12:55 p.m. and a sunset finish. So you raced there last year. So I'm assuming that was like, like did you think that that was a goes in the pro column of that that race? And um, like, is that a benefit for you? Uh, I think I'd probably prefer the morning start. It just feels a little bit awkward starting that late because then it makes getting to sleep really hard too, right? When you finish that late, but the wind tends to pick up later in the day. So it makes the swim pretty choppy. So the morning is generally calmer. Uh, I did this race, you know, I guess it's in 2018 and it was a morning start, but the issue is that a lot of people were finishing in the heat of the day. So they had a lot of DNFs because of the heat. So they shifted it back. But then with that came a lot more wind. So the swim was very choppy. And there was actually quite a few DNFs because it was so choppy. But it's a great venue. It's a lot of fun. The community really embraces the race when it's there. And it has like a good hometown feel, I guess. It's not or a local feel. It's not super touristy like uh, Cozumel or Cancun or something like that. So you mentioned following your normal season pattern through June. So after Campeche, where else can our listeners cheer for you this year, or at least through June and leading up into New Zealand? Okay. Yeah. So I'll go to Oceanside. So that'll be a change. Uh, Usually I've gone to Texas or Galveston. This year I'll go to Oceanside. Actually, it's closer to where I am now, so it's easier to get to. And then Chattanooga and then Eagle Man, Des Moines, and Coeur d'Alene. Cool. Well, that's a packed schedule. And Danielle, I can say that coming, ju- having just been in New Zealand, the community and Topa is like so incredibly pumped for the world championship 70.3 there this year. And so I'm like excited for you to get to go like there to race that event because they are like so stoked that it's, it's coming there and the community, like the excitement is already building and it's, only March. So, um, I think that'll be really, really fun. And, and I'm sure you'll have some good results through these races through the year to lead you up to that. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm so excited. New Zealand's always been on the bucket list and I really want to see what is it? The Southern lights. Did you see those? Are those like, I guess it's like different times of the year. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I might, if they're there, I might've seen them. <laughs> I actually did have like a note as I was the last night I was there that I was like, wow, the sky looks very incredible here, which is something I don't really think mm-hmm. I had particularly noticed before. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you should, you should definitely look into that more, but I'm not going to be the expert on, on that fact. <laughs> I've, I've downloaded some apps that tell you like where you can observe the Northern and Southern lights. So hopefully it's the right place, at the right time. <laughs> is this like, wait, is this like a hidden like hobby of yours? This wait, astronomy right? Astronomy, <laughs> not astrology. Astronomy is, are you like into stars? I, I mean, I like the stars. I'm not like super into astrology. Astronomy? Astronomy. Astro- <laughs> 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 
Oh gosh. Um, I know it's just been one of those bucket list things ever since I was little, I've just always wanted to see the lights. So yeah. <laughs> well, I hope that they are there, but thanks for coming on and sharing your story with us today. We really enjoyed, uh, chatting with you and we'll make sure to put some links to your social in our show notes for our listeners as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is Haley, and I've spent most of my swimming career squinting at pace clocks or trying to catch a glimpse of my watch during intervals. If you're like me and love knowing your swim splits but hate finding a clock, there's a better way. Form Swim Goggles are the first premium goggles with a smart display that shows your metrics while you swim. You heard that right. Form Goggles have a see-through display in one of the eye cups so you can see your splits, pace, distance, or any other metric right in front of you. I've done a few workouts with the Form Swim Goggles, and the coolest thing is once you press start, the goggles actually know when you're swimming and when you're resting. There's no need to press another button until you finish your workout. Want to learn more? Head to formswim.com. Haley, you got an update from Danielle after her time in Campeche, right? I did. I reached out to Danielle via email to ask about the race and traveling home. And she was able to race in Campeche. She finished third. And when I asked about if she had any trouble getting home after the race, she only said that the only weird thing was, I think she actually traveled between states in Mexico and via car. And when she crossed the border, they gave her a questionnaire, asked her where she'd been. Um, and then they actually took her temperature and they were cleared and able to continue forward. But flying, she said, was no problem. But she does recognize that had that race happened and she tried to travel even just one week later, her story would be very different. Yeah, that's crazy, but glad that she had a great race and got home safe and sound. So, and I think I saw on Instagram, actually, I know I saw on Instagram that Danielle is now engaged. So congratulations on the engagement and well, as well, Danielle, it's been a huge few weeks for you. Congrats. Congrats. No kidding. What a, what a thing to get back for. That's a, that's a momentous occasion. It's good to have some good news in, in, in all of this, but, uh, Alyssa, you, I hope you continue, um, your self quarantine, uh, social distancing in Charlottesville and staying healthy. And hopefully I can get an update on, on your hair next week. I'll definitely be letting you know. Bye Haley. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women podcast is a live feisty media production.